Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey everybody, I'm just dropping in the first episode of the Patreon exclusive Midnight Sun recaps that started a couple of months ago. This is episode one covering chapter one. I will leave this on the free feed, but Midnight Sun will be exclusively Patreon only for the rest of time. It is not going to be one of the ones that I drop on to the regular feed. Speaking of doing that, uh, now that Insurgent has finished on the free feed, I'll be popping in the Maze Runner. And then after the Maze Runner, I'll probably put Allegiant. And then, yeah, that, that feed might be dried up. It might be dried up at that point. But you can always go to the Patreon to access Midnight Sun and the Fifty Shades trilogy recaps will all be on Patreon. That's where they will live again for the rest of time. So feel free to sign up at Patreon, patreon.com slash breaking down bad books. And it's $3 a month and you can just go listen to everything you need to listen to, then cancel. You don't need to subscribe for forever. I'm not precious, but anyway, yes. Yeah, so that's at, at patreon.com slash breaking down bad books, $3 a month. Currently we'll keep doing new episodes of Midnight Sun every Friday until that book dries up and then we'll see what happens. But there's also all the 50 shades and there's also Maze Runner and Allegiant. If you want to binge listen to them all in one go before they drop onto the main feed over the next few months. So with that being said, please enjoy this coverage of chapter one of Midnight Sun. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapter one of Midnight Sun, First Sight. And I think that's a hilarious chapter title because going into it, you're like, oh, I bet it'll be love at first sight. We're seeing Twilight from Edward's POV. Oh, I can just imagine them locking eyes and him falling in love with her immediately. Nah, (laughs) nah. He thinks she's boring at first sight and at second sight, he wants to kill her. So that was a little exciting. I thought, you know, with just it being a retread of Twilight that it would be dull. We know what's going to happen, but it was quite fun to read about all the ways that he wanted to kill Bella. I don't know if that like excitement will be sustainable. Maybe when we're reading about how he watched her sleep every night, like that might be a bit boring, but this chapter, even though we knew what was going to happen, which is essentially nothing, uh, it was still exciting. It was an exciting read. And I also feel like it was a really long chapter. So let's just get straight into it. So he opens up saying, this was the time of day when I most wished I were able to sleep. High school. Or was purgatory the right word? And then he just complains about going to high school. And it's like, no one 
is making you go to high school. You can easily just not go to high school. He's bitching and moaning and he knows everything and he's got two degrees and he's too advanced for a high school biology class. And it's like, yeah, well, don't go to fucking high school. And I think that's also what we see. So with Twilight, I think Steph was just writing. I don't know if she had really landed on much of the mythology that she would then go into. But now reading this, it's like, we know how vampires work, how the world works. We know that there are young looking nomads all around the country. There's clans in Ireland. There's clans in Alaska. We've got people in Egypt who are doing X-Men style things with their special talents. None of them are going to high school. In Twilight, you sort of read it and you go, okay, like, yeah, that's stupid. But you go, okay. But now we're going back there with all of that knowledge and context that we have. And we're just meant to forget that and, and pretend that this is normal, that it's okay for them to be at high school. And I get that it's like, oh, so we can stay in Forks longer. And it's like, okay, well, go elsewhere. I know you like Forks, but there's plenty of places you can live. I know you've got a holiday home in Brazil on Isle Esme. Just go live on Isle Esme. So that's number one. But like, yeah, okay. If you like Forks so much and you want to live there and you want to be able to stay there for a few years, be homeschooled. Maybe don't even interact with the human population as much. Or maybe just pretend that you're 19 and you just look young for your age. I don't know why they have to do the ruse of high school. Like, I know it's just because Stephanie had a fucking dream one day and she wrote a shitty book and she never gave two thoughts about why this vampire was in high school. It was just like, that's what happened in the dream. So it had to be that way. And now we're putting up with the plot holes. And and, okay, I said I wanted to get into it. So let's just get back into it. So then he's saying how he hears several hundred voices in his head because he can read minds. And they're all thinking about this new girl that's coming to school today. He says, I'd seen the new face repeated in thought after thought from every angle, just an ordinary human girl. He's not even that jazzed on her. There is no love at first sight, which is just hilarious. And also, why is every single person in that school frothing over Bella? I remember when I was at high school and a new kid would arrive, we weren't obsessed. We weren't all constantly thinking about it. And he's in the cafeteria and he's hearing kids be like, oh my God, what should I say to Bella? Or should I bring this up with Bella? How am I going to get to speak to Bella? Oh, I hope she's in my class. It's like, what? What sort of fantasy land does Stephanie Meyer live in where she thinks people care that much about other people? High school students are very self-centered. They don't care about the new kid. And I don't know if they want to be friends with the new kid. If there's attention on the new kid, it's probably bad attention and they're going to make fun of the new kid and alienate the new kid. But apparently they're also fucking fascinated because she's from Phoenix. It's not even like she's from somewhere that exotic or that far away, to be quite frank. If she were from Venezuela or Lesotho or bloody Romania, then I'd be like, oh yeah, that's, that's, there's an air of intrigue there. But no, she's from Phoenix, Arizona. You're telling me none of them have met anyone from Arizona before? Also, they know who she is. She used to go there every like summer to hang out with her dad who lives there. It's not like she's an unknown quantity. Ugh, ugh. As much as I did enjoy this first chapter, it's bringing up the shit plot of the book that I just can't stand. So then he touches down on what his siblings are thinking about. And he's not a very gracious person. He clocks Rosalie for being selfish. He says, Rosalie was thinking as usual about herself. Her mind was a stagnant pool with few surprises. Like, ouch, ouch. Like, I don't think that's very fair. She's caught her reflection in someone's glasses and she's just admiring how pretty she is. And it's like, okay, well, she's confident. She's happy in her appearance. Is that a crime? 
And then on the flip side, Emmett apparently has no thoughts in his head because he's such a dum-dum. He says hearing Emmett's thoughts never felt intrusive because he never thought one thing that he would not say out loud or put into action. If Rosalie's mind was a stagnant pool, then Emmett's was a lake with no shadows. Like, okay, why are you reading everybody? He is just tearing them all down, reading them for filth. And then he explains that Jasper was suffering because it's been a few weeks since they went hunting and Jasper's really thirsty. And now Edward's thinking, maybe we shouldn't be testing his restraint in a high school full of kids, kids with blood pumping through their veins, because they're all worried that he's going to kill someone at any second. And it's like, okay, well, don't go to high school then. And then Alice says Edward in her head, and he's like, huh, what? And he says that whenever anyone thinks about him, he says it gets his attention straight away because it's just the same as having his name called aloud. And he says, I was glad my given name had fallen out of style in the last few decades. So apparently no one in the world's called Edward now. And so Alice, who can see the future, is saying to Edward, oh, how's he going? How's he going? Is there any danger? Like she's asking him to read Jasper's mind. Whereas she should be able to see if he's going to go and kill someone. But okay. She's fact checking it with him. And he's like focusing on Jasper's mind. And he's like, it's a bit dicey, honestly. Maybe we shouldn't be tempting fate by having him in a room full of humans. But he's not actually responding out loud. He's just like very subtly shaking his head or nodding. And then he mentions that they're moving around very slightly just so that they look more human to the rest of the people in the cafeteria. He says, Alice remembers to tuck one tiny fist under her sharp chin and blink regularly. She brushed a tuft of her short, jagged black hair out of her eyes. Just, oh, God, got to act human, got to act human, got to act human. Meanwhile, they're having a silent conversation. He's staring at cracks in the wall. Rosalie's looking at someone's glasses and is thinking about herself. Emmett's not talking to anyone. Jasper's not talking to anyone because he's thinking about killing people in the room. And it's like, if you want to look normal, maybe don't just sit in silence at the cafeteria table. Wouldn't that be more unnerving? So Alice is thinking like, yeah, please keep tabs on him because I apparently can't see the future anymore. And he's like, yeah, I know it's tough. He says in his mind, because again, they're not talking at the table. He thinks, wouldn't the safer path be to just admit that he might never be able to handle his thirst as well as the rest of us could and not push his limits? Why flirt with disaster? Yes, agreed. Like, why? And he says it had been two weeks since their last hunting trip. And I'm like, go hunt then. Why are you sending a starving kid to school? Go hunt. As I've said before, you don't have to save up for a mountain lion, just snack on a squirrel. And like, what's the purpose for them not hunting? You don't sleep, just go out in the middle of the night. It can't be because you're waiting for like a cloudy day, like it's forks, just go at night. Uh, I don't understand it. Okay, and then he talks about how all the humans are sitting pretty far away from them because their instincts told them what their conscious minds would never understand, that they are a danger to be avoided. And so there's this theory that he has that all the humans around them are inherently afraid of them. And yet I don't think any of them are. Bella certainly isn't. He's reading Jessica's mind and telling us that Jessica used to have a huge crush on him. So like she clearly wasn't terrified of him. So then Jasper He starts daydreaming about killing this girl across the cafeteria and Edward has to kick his chair because it was getting a bit dicey. And Jasper's like, oh, sorry about that. And Alice says, oh, you weren't going to do anything. I could see that. And she's lying because Edward says, I fought back the frown that would give her lie away. So she has had a vision of Jasper killing someone in that cafeteria. So like, go home, pretend you've got a stomach ache and go home for the day. I'm sure Carlisle will write you a note. 
Like I get that Alice sees many potential futures, but like, even if you just see like one chance that maybe Jasper might kill a room full of people, like maybe don't risk it. And that's the thing. So, all right, later in this chapter, Edward's going to want to kill Bella and like really kill her and kill like the whole room full of people in that class. And Alice has not seen that at all. Not at all. And he thinks she might never have seen that because she was too focused on Jasper. I don't know if that's how her power works. I honestly don't. I think that's just Steph being like, oh shit, when I wrote this in Twilight, I didn't really uh, think about how Alice should have seen this coming. So now I'm just going to retcon it and pretend that she was distracted with Jasper trying to kill people. But the fact of the matter is that's two out of the five of them that that day have come close to killing some of the humans that they go to school with. So don't go to fucking school. So then someone thinks his name. And of course he has to look in that direction because... He thinks someone's calling his name. How many people call out his name in this school? I don't know. But apparently as soon as he hears his name in thought, his head snaps up and he looks in that direction. Thank God he's just got such a random, unique name like Edward that that might not happen very often. Phew, phew. Isn't he lucky that name's no longer popular? So he looks in that direction and he sees Bella and he's not that impressed. (laughs) He's not that impressed. He looks at her and he goes, eh, yeah. And then he says, I looked away, bored. (laughs) It's not love at first sight, it's boredom at first sight. Ouch. That's gotta be rough for Bella's ego. And so, okay, later again, we find out that she's got the best smelling blood in the world, specifically for just Edward, apparently, I don't know. But even though they're in the cafeteria right now, he can't smell her. Even though it's the greatest smell in the whole freaking world, She's too far away, apparently. She's just a meter too far away. Even though, again, we, we know what vampires are like. We just saw Bella become one and she has super fucking senses. So I, I don't know why he can't smell her at this point. Anyway, so he's bored. And then he just like listens in to the conversation where Jessica's explaining who the Cullens are, blah, blah, blah. He's wondering, what did she see when she looked at the strange chalky skinned family that was universally avoided? Even though I don't think they were avoided because he was just saying that Jessica had the hots for him. He says it was his responsibility on behalf of the family to read people's minds to see if anyone has figured out that they're vampires. He says, it happened occasionally. Some human with an active imagination would see in us the characters of a book or movie. What fucking book or movie? They don't act like any actual vampires that I've ever heard of. I say actual vampires like they exist, but you know what I mean? And he says, rarely, extremely rarely, someone would guess right. And then they just leave town. And so this is when he's like, wait a minute, I can't hear a a thing she's thinking. Maybe she's got less thoughts than Emmett because she's not thinking anything. And he's staring at her thinking like, why isn't she thinking anything? And that makes her blush. And he clocks her blushing because she's so translucent that he sees red staining her white cheeks. Like he talks about how translucent she is, like maybe eight or nine times in just this chapter. How she's so pale coming from Phoenix, Arizona, I don't know. And even though he can't read her thoughts, he can read her face like it's a book. He says the emotions had been as clear on her face as if they were spelled out in words. Surprise, as she unknowingly absorbed the signs of the subtle differences between her kind and mine. Curiosity as she listened to Jessica's tale and something more, fascination. And then he's like bragging about how hot they are. He goes, well, it wouldn't be the first time. We were beautiful to them, our intended prey. And it's like, okay, well, I thought you just said that everyone should be avoiding you. Innately, they'll avoid you. But now you're like, oh, they've all got the hots for us. So which is it? 
So then he starts getting worried that he can't actually read her mind. And he says, this was nothing I'd ever encountered. Although again, in Breaking Dawn, when they realized that Bella was a shield, he was like, oh yeah, I've come across a few shields before, but nothing like this. So it's not really like nothing he's ever encountered. So then he starts snooping on everybody at that table, just reading their minds to see what they're all thinking. And they're all thinking about Bella, the hot new kid in town, the hot translucent piece on the side that everyone's jazzed about. And so this is when Bella asks Jessica who that kid is with the reddish brown hair. What's his name being Edward? And Jessica thinks, oh, good luck, idiot, which is so funny. I'm loving Midnight Sun because I get to hear Jessica's inner monologue and she is not very gracious and it is so funny. She's thinking this freaking Bella Swan thinks she's got a chance with Edward Cullen. She's thinking, nah, uh, uh. Meanwhile, he's still staring at her. It's still not love at first sight because now he's thinking about how fragile she looks. (laughs) He says, somehow this girl looked more fragile than her new classmates. Her skin was so translucent It was hard to believe it offered her much defense from the outside world. Okay, well, like how much defense does skin really give from the outside world? Like really, it's skin, it's not metal. And he's also clocking that she's shy. He says, I could sense her shyness from the way she held her frail looking shoulders, slightly hunched. (laughs) He's not painting a very glamorous picture of this frail, translucent little fragile bird. Like how many times has he called a translucent and frail? And I don't think he means it in the way that like all humans are frail to a vampire. Like he means specifically her. She looks more frail than everyone in that whole high school. So then they're like, oh, well, we better get to class. So they go to class. He's like not looking forward to biology because he already knows everything about biology. He's got multiple degrees. It's going to be really boring for him. And I'm like, boo fucking who don't go to school. So then he sits down at his desk. He sits alone. Everyone else is all paired up, but no one sits next to him ever. He says, the humans weren't smart enough to know that they feared me, but their innate survival instincts were enough to keep them away. Like, I I doubt it. We're meant to believe that the humans fear him. And yet when they invite everyone to like a graduation party at their house, guess what? Everybody comes. He has a whole house full of wedding guests for when they get married. Like, people aren't that afraid of you, Edward. And so maybe that's just him projecting. Like maybe that's not law. That's not a done deal. That's just what he thinks in his warped little brain. So he's sitting down and then Bella comes into the doorway and he looks at her and he's like, oh yeah, still got a blank space baby where her mind is. Like he cannot read it at all. And so now he's closer to her. Yeah. Like what's that? A couple of meters. He's sitting down. She's at the entrance and her smell still hasn't hit him yet. He's just thinking boring thoughts, which, okay, that's one of my gripes with Midnight Sun. There's too much of it. He's actually thinking really repetitive things. He's saying the same shit over and over again. And yeah, you could cut a lot of it, Steph. I know it's from his POV, but we don't need every single thing that he thinks in real time. Like we don't need that. So he's thinking his little thoughts and then she walks close enough that she goes into the flow of the heated air that blew toward him from the vent. And so now it's a game changer. Just a little puff of wind has brought out the monster in him. He says, her scent hit me like a battering ram, like an exploding grenade. There was no image violent enough to encompass the force of what happened to me in that moment. Okay, so this smell of her blood drives him completely insane just from her walking in front of an air vent. 
I don't know why he wasn't going insane five seconds earlier when she was just across the room if she smells that good. And I don't understand why she smells that good. I don't think that ever comes up again in the saga, does it? I think James likes the smell of her, but didn't he only really like the smell of her because he knew that Edward liked the smell of her and it was like a weird little tracker thing. I don't know if we got an actual explanation for why Bella smells so good to Edward specifically. Is it just because they're like soulmates? Cause that's, that's weird. But no, okay, there's something about her that just makes him go crazy. And he's just like experiencing his base vampire instincts. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to kill her. And he's already sort of committed to that in his mind in seconds. He's committed to that. And he's also realized that like, oh, if I kill her, I have to kill everyone else in the room. But ah, well, in his mind, they're already dead because they happen to be here when he smelled that smell via the air vent. And he says the mystery of her thoughts were forgotten. Her thoughts meant nothing but she would not go on thinking them much longer. I was a vampire and she had the sweetest blood I'd smelled in more than 80 years. And I think he's been a vampire for like 96. So I don't know if that means like back in 1925, he did smell someone like just as good as Bella. So maybe it's not that random. It's just like every 80 years, you smell someone that just smells really good or something. I don't know. Oh, but then he says, I hadn't imagined that such a scent could exist. What? Like you just said it was the sweetest blood you'd smelled in 80 years, but you're, you're older than 80 years. So it can't be that much of a shock that the scent existed. He says, if I'd known that scent existed, I would have probably gone searching for it long ago. I would have scoured the planet for her. I could imagine the taste. And I'm like, okay, now you're overselling it. He's like, oh, the thirst burned through my throat like fire. He's just going on and on and on about how good she smells. And so now I'm thinking maybe he should have just killed her. Like narratively, I'm not buying this 180 that he doesn't end up killing her. If, it, if it's that good, I guess it's because he loves her so much that he doesn't kill her, but I don't know. Realistically, you'd think he'd slip up eventually. So like barely any seconds have passed. She starts walking towards the empty seat next to him. And he says she walked more quickly now as if she understood the need to escape, which doesn't make sense because she's walking towards him. So that, that makes no fucking sense. And he says, her haste made her clumsy. She tripped and stumbled forward, almost falling into the girl seated in front of me. And then he's like, oh God, she's vulnerable. She's weak, even more than usual for a human. He's really driving that point home that she's frail. So then he goes on and on and on again about how good she smells. He's gripping the table. He's gripping the edge of the table so much that he pulverizes the wood. And then he's like, using his foot to scatter like the wood shavings on the floor so no one would notice. And he's like, destroy the evidence. And it's like, um, I don't think anyone noticed. And also if you're that worried about this scrap of wood on the ground, maybe you're not that focused on trying to kill her right now. Maybe you are a bit distracted. So here's where he plans killing everyone else in the room, but he's like, oh God, what do I do first? Do I kill her and then kill everyone else, but then her blood will go cold and it won't taste as good, even though it's the best thing I've ever smelled in 80 years. Like I'm gonna want it fresh. It'll go stale after 20 seconds. He's like, or I could kill everyone else, leave her and then kill her afterwards. That'd take about five seconds. He's like, oh my God, I could snap five necks per second and then carry the one. Uh, that would be about five seconds. And then he's thinking, would she be able to scream in five seconds after I've snapped everyone's neck off? He's like, oh, so much to think about. And then he's like, well, as soon as I start killing her, she would not have time to scream or feel pain. I would not kill her cruelly. That much I could give this stranger with her horribly desirable blood. It's like, oh, oh, you won't kill her cruelly. You'll just kill her quickly. How nice of you. 
He's like, oh, it's the least I could do. She's dead either way, mate. I would not kill her cruelly. I think killing someone and drinking their blood on their first day of school, no less, I think that's pretty cruel. That's inherently cruel. And he's like, oh, well, uh, as long as I'm not going to torture her, she'll be fine. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Nah, mate, it's still a raw deal for Bella Swan. And get this, she's still fucking walking to the desk. We've got pages and pages of him thinking about this planning the scenarios, talking about how good she smells, his throat's on fire, etc., etc., And she's not even at the desk yet. And he's pretty much decided as soon as she sits down, I'm going to start killing someone. Whether she's first or she's last, she's dying. But then someone slammed shut a folder on his left. I didn't look up to see which of the doomed humans it was, but the motion sent a wave of ordinary unscented air wafting across my face. And that was the game changer we needed. Bella's life was saved by someone slamming shut a folder, wafting some air in front of Edward. How convenient, how convenient. And then he says, for one short second, don't know how long that is, uh, a short second, I was able to think clearly. And so in that moment of reprieve, when he got that stale air wafted in his face, he was thinking about how He's got two faces. I don't, I don't really track this metaphor, but he's got like the face of the monster inside of him, but also the face of Carlisle. And even Edward trying to explain this metaphor, he's like, it doesn't actually make any sense because Carlisle's not biologically my father, so I shouldn't share resemblance with his features. But I'm like, well, yeah, you should because you're all vampires. Don't you all have like a similar sort of feature anyway? And his venom created you. So yeah. I guess, I guess you're not biologically related, but you're pretty linked. Anyway, it doesn't even matter. I don't even know what the fuck they're talking about. Anyway, it just gives him a second about how he's going to disappoint Carlisle if he kills everyone. And so then he's getting really disappointed that he's going to disappoint Carlisle because again, he's still assuming he's going to kill this girl. He's like, oh no, I'm going to disappoint him. 
I'm gonna prove him wrong about me. Ah, oh, jeez. Ah, oh, well. And then he starts saying how much he hates her. He hates Bella. Oh my God, it's so funny. So now it's hate at first sight or hate at first smell. He says, I hate her. Why'd she have to come here? Why does she have to exist? Which is something that I've said a lot while reading the Twilight Saga. Why? And then he's sort of deciding that he doesn't want to become the monster. He doesn't want to murder everyone. And he says, I'm not going to do it. She can't make me. It's like, well, she's not making you do anything, doll. She's just at a first day of school, just walking to a desk. So he says, the scent was the problem. The hideously appealing scent of her blood. If there was only some way to resist, if only another gust of fresh air could clear my head. It's like, well, go open the window. Like, and he's like, oh, what can I do? What can I do to not smell her? Oh, he's racking his brain. And then she shakes out her hair. I think remember in Twilight, she was trying to be all like flirty, like look at my hair, it's scented. But he's like, was she insane? And he's like, oh, geez, I don't want to have to smell her hair. Even though there's no blood in hair. So I don't know why that's so appealing to him. And he's like, damn it, there's no breeze. And he goes, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then he goes, oh, wait a minute. I don't have to breathe. Are you shitting me? Pages and pages and pages and pages of him talking about how he's going to kill everyone in that room. And only now is he thinking, oh, wait a minute. I don't have to breathe. Therefore, I do not have to smell her. So he just stops breathing now. He just stops breathing. If you don't need to breathe, why is your default position to always be breathing? Like, I don't know. He's still struggling with the memory of her scent, but he's not actively smelling her right now. And he's thinking, okay, well, maybe I can resist. Maybe. He's like, an hour's a long time though. I don't know if I can sit through it. And then he tells us, it was an uncomfortable feeling not breathing. My body did not need oxygen. Okay, so, all right, canon, canon. They do not need oxygen. Okay, agreed. Let's just remember that. And he says, but it went against my instincts. I relied on scent more than my other senses in times of stress. It led the way in the hunt. It was the first warning in case of danger. Okay, so he says he breathes so that he can smell because that's how he deals with danger. And I'm like, what danger? You're in a biology class in high school. If it weren't for wanting to kill this girl, like what, what danger do you need to be wary of? Meanwhile, all this time, Alice hasn't seen shit. He's made so many decisions to kill or not kill this person. And she hasn't seen shit. And I get that he was like, oh, well, maybe she was just focused on Jasper. And it's like, well, was she focused on Jasper yesterday? Why would it have to be there and then, like seconds before danger that Alice should have the vision? Shouldn't she been having a vision of Bella's arrival like months ago? I don't know. All right. So now he's like, okay, well, I'll just not breathe for the next hour. Hopefully no other prey is out to get me. Hopefully I'm not in danger from like the Volturi or some other random vampire nomads or the children of the moon. Hopefully they're not coming for me because I'm not going to smell them. He's like, I'm just going to try and hold steady for an hour. And then he's still thinking about sinking his teeth in her fine see-through skin. (laughs) See-through skin. Ugh, see-through skin. Okay, and then he's like, all right, it's just an hour. It's just an hour. And it goes on and on and on and on and on as such. And then he just goes on about how much he hates her again. (laughs) He says, my former irritation about her soundless thoughts was weak and pale in comparison to the need and the hate that possessed me now. For I hated this frail girl, (laughs) frail again, (laughs) beside me. I hated her with all the fervor with which I clung to my former self. Love of my family, my dreams of being something better than what I was. Hating her, hating how she made me feel. He's thinking, I hate her. I'm irritated by her. Will this hour never pass? And it's like, just say, you've got an upset stomach and you need to go and see the nurse. Say you need to go to the bathroom, get a hall pass. 
I think he's all like, oh, if I make any movements, I'll lose all self-control and kill her. But it's like, just get out of there. And so if you were thinking that he's actually holding out this hour to not kill her, you'd be wrong. He's only holding steady so he doesn't have to kill the 19 witnesses. He's now planning how he's going to get her alone to kill her after class. So he's thinking he's now going to be like, oh, can I walk you to your next class? And then be like, oh, no, I forgot a book in my car. Come with him into my car. And he thinks she'll just go with that, even though that does sound a bit dodgy. But he was like, yeah, she'll go with it. So he's planning on like taking her out into the parking lot and killing her there. And then he's like, oh, no, but people are keeping tabs on this girl. She is the hottest ticket in town. Maybe someone like Mike Newton will notice. And he's like, well, I could kill Mike. And then he's like, well, maybe if we just get to her house and I could kill her at the house. And he's like, that makes more sense. If I can get her to the house, I'll kill her there. And then I wouldn't have to rush and I could drink every last little drop. And he says, I made it through the hour in this way, imagining the best ways to kill her. Oh my God. It's kind of nice of him that he never really admitted that to Bella. I think he alludes to the fact that he was in a world of pain and thought about killing her, but not in this much detail. He really didn't mention that he spent the whole hour planning her death. Because I, I mean, I know Bella doesn't love herself and she just accepts the love that she thinks she deserves. But even if Edward had admitted that to her, do you think she'd still be like, oh, well, I forgive you? Or would it maybe bother her just the teensiest little bit? I don't know. I think she would have been fine with it, actually. In fact, she probably would have apologized. No one fucking Bella. She would have been like, I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that. And it's like, mate, you're the one that was almost going to get murdered. He says, once toward the very end of class, she peeked up at me through the fluid wall of her hair. And I could feel the unjustified hatred burning out of me as I met her gaze. Fluid wall of her hair. Can you have a fluid wall of hair? What the hell does that mean? Is she in a shampoo commercial? I don't understand. And then the bell rings and they're saved by the bell. And he acknowledges that. He says, oh, how cliche, saved by the bell. And it's like, okay, just admitting that it's a cliche doesn't mean that it's still not a cliche. So he's like, all right, well, I got to get out of here. So he quickly leaves the classroom. He thinks like, oh, maybe I was a little bit too fast. Whoopsies. Hopefully no one noticed. And then he went and hid in the car. I think he was meant to be in another class right now and everyone else is at another class, but he's just sitting in the car trying to chill out. He says, I played a CD in the car, a CD that usually calmed me, but it did little for me now. He says, what helped most was the cool wet air that drifted with the light rain through the open windows. Just go out and hunt an animal then. Leave the car park, leave the premises, leave the town, go and eat a mountain lion and clear your head. Like, I wouldn't be that worried that you'll leave your siblings without a car or you can run. If you really want to leave them with a car because you think they'll get stuck, you can just leave the car there and go run around in the bush. No one's going to notice. Just clear your head and drink some blood. But no, he's just sitting in the car listening to Enya, trying to bring his stress levels down. Like... So it worked. Enya worked. The best of Enya worked. And he's like, I was saying again, I could think again and I could fight again. I could fight what I didn't want to be. So, okay, the inner struggle's still going on. So now he thinks, perhaps if I avoided this girl very, very carefully, there was no need for my life to change. He says, I had things ordered the way I liked them. Why should I let some aggravating and delicious nobody ruin that? Okay, so now he's like, oh, my life's pretty good as it is. I, I don't want her to ruin it. And it's like, Okay, you just opened this chapter in the book by saying how bored you are with life because you're stuck at high school and it's purgatory for you. He compared it to purgatory and now he's like, I like my life. Why is she ruining my purgatory? Like, go on a gap year. Relax. Go hang out at Isle Esme. 
And so now while he's sitting in the car listening to a CD, he's like, wait a minute, where's Alice? And this is when he's like, oh, it must be because she's so focused on Jasper. It's like, no, no, she's just shit. And it's a plot hole. So then he's like, all right, I've got an idea. Why don't I put a plan into action so that he can still continue life as normal in this happy purgatory that he's in? He says, I walked swiftly, a little too swiftly, but there were no witnesses. Oh, thank God. Across the tiny campus to the office. Save that for tomorrow. Go and hunt. What are you doing? Get off the premises. Oh. And so he goes to talk to the receptionist at the office, Miss Cope. Now this is creepy. Miss Cope is a pervert. Edward can read her thoughts and she just keeps reminding herself that Edward's really young. She's getting all flustered and she goes, he's almost young enough to be my son. As if that's the main problem. And I'm like, okay, regardless of how old your son is, he's still a child at a school where you work. It's, it's illegal and morally reprehensible whether you have a son or not. But he wants to change his class schedule to get out of the class with Bella. And he seems super confident in that, even though like you could have other classes with her. I don't know why he assumes that he's only got biology with her, but he thinks that'll just change everything if he just gets out of biology and goes to a different class. Imagine if he did that, pulled some strings, and then the next day he goes to English and he's like, ah, shit, she's in that class too. Like, (laughs) Just leave schools or don't go to school. The problem isn't what class you're in. It's the fact that you're in a class at all. Oh, so he's trying to flirt with Miss Cope, who is this, this far off being a bit of a pedophile. And he says, I was wondering if you could help me with my schedule. And she says, of course, Edward, how can I help? And she thinks, too young, too young. And he thinks, wrong, of course. I was actually older than her grandfather. It's like, okay, well, that's not what makes it wrong, Edward. Like you may have been born a hundred years ago, but you still look like a 16 year old and you're a student at the place where she works as an adult in a position of power. Like, I, uh, he's like, you're wrong there, Miss Cope. I'm actually old enough to be your grandfather. So you can hit on me all you want. So he's saying he wants to move biology class and she's a bit like, oh, I don't know about that. And she thinks there might be a problem with the teacher, blah, blah, blah. Someone walks in behind him, right? Someone walks in because he can hear the door open and close. But because that person didn't think of his name, he didn't register them. And of course we know it's Bella and he hasn't twigged that it's Bella in that room with him, even though she has the best blood that he's smelt in the past 80 years. Even though the smell of her blood was like, in his memories, he was just about to murder a whole school full of kids just to taste that sweet, sweet blood. Her scent was driving him crazy. He had to listen to a, a CD of soothing Celtic music just to settle down. And now she's in the room with him and he can't smell her. He can't smell her at all. He doesn't even notice her because she didn't think his name. I get that he's told us that when people think about him, he twigs and he listens in, but Is he not noticing that this person is not thinking at all? Does that not maybe seem off to him? Meanwhile, he's still flirting with Miss Cope and she's thinking again, like, oh, he's too young, he's too young. And it's like, yes, he is. And then some other student, Samantha Wells, she enters the room, puts a tardy slip in the basket by the door and hurries out again. And when she does that, a sudden gust of wind comes through the open door and crashes into him. And that's when he realizes it's Bella because he can smell her again. And he's like, oh my God, it's Bella. And it's like, she walked through the door too. Was there no wind when she walked through the door? Were we in like the eye of a hurricane and everything had just stopped? But then like three seconds later when Samantha Wells is popping in, all of a sudden it's blowing a gale and now he's getting a whiff of her. 
he could all of a sudden smell her in that tiny little room where he could not smell her before, even though she was just standing there. Like if her scent is so strong and she stinks so bad, why is it always gust dependent? He could only smell her when she walked under a vent. Now he can only smell her when someone's opening a door to the room that she's in. When someone's shutting a folder, that's blowing air to distract from her smell. Uh, There's just so many gusts of wind going around. And I think he should be able to smell her if everyone's just like standing still. And now that that door opening has just blown a gale inside this office, he says the smell of her blood saturated every particle of air in the tiny hot room. What? that, That wasn't the case when she was just standing in the tiny hot room? It wasn't until fresh air got let into the room that it became more stifling? I don't don't get it. Again, I think it's a plot hole because in the first Twilight book, when this happened, he should have noticed her immediately and he didn't. So now she's retconning. So now of course he's thinking about killing Miss Cope, just breaking her neck and then killing Bella. He's like, oh, well, two deaths is better than 20. He's thinking it's not bad. But then he regains self-control again. So he storms out and he's like, fine, I'll just put up with biology class. Like, or just drop out. But he's like, all right, Miss Cope, I'll just stick with biology in period six. And she's like, okay, whatever. Just glad she didn't fully lose her job for trying to hit on a kid, I think. So he goes back to the car park. The others are waiting in the Volvo. They can sense that he's tense and they're all like, ah, what's with you? And he's like, I've got to get out of here. He doesn't answer. He just drives out of the car park. Emmett, Rosalie and Jasper all turn to Alice to see what she knows. And she just shrugs because she has no fucking clue because she's useless. But now I guess that she's focused on him. She has a vision of him leaving town. And she says, oh, are you leaving? And he goes, am I getting all sarcastic with her? (laughs) I think maybe he's annoyed that she didn't see any of this coming. Like it probably would have been nice. I still just don't understand if she's so trained on like seeing Jasper kill someone. Would a possible future where any of them kill a human not trigger a vision if that's what she's training herself to see? Maybe she shouldn't be so specific in trying to trigger a vision because that just leaves them all at a disadvantage. I don't know, but now she's having a vision of his other decision where Bella's dead and she goes, oh no. And of course he can see her vision because he can read her minds. And he's like, oh yeah, all right, that's how I do it. And he's picturing killing her in the house. And then he's like, actually stop, stop having that vision, Alice, because he can't bear it anymore. And she's like, oh yeah, sorry. And then she just stops having the vision. I didn't know she could just turn it off mid vision. So then she's like, all right, well, I'll miss you no matter how short a time you're gone. Meanwhile, Emmett, Rosalie and Jasper are like, what the fuck's going on? They're almost at the road that turns off towards their house. And she's like, just let us out. You go and talk to Carlisle. You should tell Carlisle yourself that you're leaving. And then he has to like go and drive to the hospital and tell Carlisle that. I don't know if putting him in a building full of people who are bleeding is the best idea, but okay, that's just what he's going to do. Like write a fucking note. I don't know why you got to go in there. (laughs) Okay. And so Emmett, Rosalie, Jasper, Alice, they all get out of the car. And Alice says, you will do the right thing. She's Charlie Swan's only family. It would kill him too. And he says, yes, I said, agreeing only with the last part. So you're only agreeing that it would kill Charlie, but you're not agreeing that she's his only family. Like, is he disagreeing about that part or just about doing the right thing? Is that what he's disagreeing to? I don't know. That's very vague. All right. So then he drives off and he says, I wasn't sure where I was going to say goodbye to my father or to embrace the monster inside me. The road flew away beneath my tires which is 
I don't know, I guess a very poetic way to say I drove off. Uh, So the road flew away beneath his tires and that's the end of the chapter. So let's leave it there. What did you think? I think I'm going to enjoy Midnight Sun again if it's less of him just whining. He's a very whiny character. And if we could dial that back and just focus on how he's going to kill Bella, like I could really enjoy this book. So let's see. I think he's going to go off to Alaska next and that'll be fun. I think as much as like, oh, we're meant to have fun with seeing the same scene from someone else's perspective. Like I'd rather see all the new shit in between that we missed being stuck in Bella's POV. So like, yeah, let's go see him run around Alaska. That'll be great. So we'll pick up that next week and I'll see you then. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.